If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 161 of the Leading Learning Podcast. In this episode, Tom Morrison, the CEO of Metal Treating Institute Management, returns as a guest. In addition to his role as an association CEO, Tom is a sought-after keynote speaker and he's author of multiple books, including, most recently, The Dash, Making Sure Your Obituary Won't Suck. And he's always an insightful and interesting person to talk with. Before we turn to the conversation with Tom, though, we want to be sure to thank our sponsor for this episode. And that sponsor is Learning Technology Design, or LTD, which is our annual virtual conference designed specifically for those who work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development. This will be our fourth time offering LTD, and we know from all the feedback we've received from past attendees that they've found it a unique and highly valuable experience. Registration is open at ltd.degoras.com, and through the month of November, we're offering reduced pricing as well as the opportunity to extend a complimentary invitation to a colleague or friend who has not attended LTD before. We're also offering the opportunity to be a patron for the event, an option that may be of interest to companies that serve learning businesses. You can find out about that by going to ltd.tagoras.com slash patron. And we'd like to spotlight some of our current patrons, including Web Courseworks, makers of the Course Stage LMS, and EventGuard, a professional development consulting firm committed to lifelong learning. You can find out more about Web Courseworks at webcourseworks.com and EventGuard at eventguard.com. And I'll note that guard there is G A R. D-E, a little play on avant-garde. Definitely do take time to find out more about WebCourseWorks and EventGuard. These companies have demonstrated their commitment to learning businesses by becoming patrons of LTD, and so we encourage you to support them. Now, Jeff, tell us a bit more about what you and Tom cover. Well, this is, as we've noted, uh, a return visit for Tom. He has been on the podcast before, and uh, you know, I bump into him out and about. And the the thing that just always impresses me about him is that he's a big thinker. Um, so he has, you know, big ideas, uh, particularly about the future and where things are going. And he's good at articulating those as a speaker. He does a lot of keynote speaking. But at the same time, he is a frontline practitioner. He actually runs a learning business himself. He's been very successful with uh, introducing e-learning and certificate programs at the Metal Treating Institute. And we talk uh, about that a little bit in this episode. We talk about that much more in episode 37, which he was on before, and we'll be sure to to link to that. But we get a little bit of an update. Um, but then we also talk quite a bit about the concept of Uberization, which has been kind of the, the core of a lot of Tom's speaking over over recent years, and really get into, you know, what that means, the potential for an Uber-like entrant into your market, or how you might become the Uber of your market. So we spent some time focusing on that, and specifically how learning businesses might be thinking about that concept, and applying it, and making sure that they're not Ubered uh, when it comes down to it. Well, that sounds great, and I really look forward to hearing what you and Tom have to say, so let's roll the conversation with Tom Morrison. 
Hello out there. I'm Jeff Cobb. This is the Leading Learning Podcast, and today I'm joined by Tom Morrison. Tom is the CEO of Metal Treating Institute Management. He's also a highly sought-after keynote speaker and author of multiple books, including most recently, The Dash, Making Sure Your Obituary Won't Suck. Tom has been on Leading Learning before, way back in episode 37, where we talked about the Metal Treating Institute's very successful certificate programs, and it's well past time to have another conversation. So Tom, welcome back to the Leading Learning Podcast. Jeff, loving being here, man. I love getting to spread the news, the positivity, and the things that I think are going on in the marketplace that can help associations, and frankly, corporations for that matter, to see the future, train themselves, and to be the best they can be, because we're in the midst of a a ginormous economic boom, in my opinion, coming up in the next 20 years. And those that are really prepared for it are going to really uh, reap the rewards of being prepared for that. So just glad to be here and, and to share all that good news. Well, and, and I know listeners are going to uh, be eager to hear it. Uh, I had the chance to bump into you recently, as we sometimes do out there on the, the, the network, uh, so to speak. You were uh, speaking at uh, AENC, the Association Executives of North Carolina, and uh, just really gave a tremendous talk there. And I want to dig into some of what you said. But um, b- before we do that, though, I'd love to give you a, just a, a, an opportunity. I said a little bit about your background there being, you know, CEO of Metal Treating Institute Management, being an author, that sort of thing. But what what else is it important for folks to know about you so they can appreciate the perspective that you're bringing to this conversation? Well, ever since I joined the Metal Treating Institute, I've been this way since I started my, was in my first association in 1995. I have been really obsessed with the future, obsessed with because I knew the future was running at us at, at, at record pace. And so I really study every single day I come in how our association and frankly the people that put me on stage can grow their companies in a, in, a, in a face of change that's just coming at us at light speed. You know, our association has grown. I mean, when I talked to you the last time, our association had grown at about 1,500%. When we get done with this year, our, our, our association in the last 13 years will have grown 2,600% um, through the same economies, the same challenges, the same things as every other. But we've grown because it's been not a, a stroke of luck, but a very strategic, uh, formidable plan and a way we approach change, um, and the things that we bring to the marketplace. So, you know, I like to think that we're doing things right, making good decisions. We don't make them perfect all the time, but we certainly look at the right information and we're not scared to make those hard decisions so that we can see the shifts and turns that make a positive impact on our members and our customers. So um, just excited to be here and, and you know, like I say, and, and, and share that because I think in, in this world, you can accomplish anything you want as long as you're willing to go after it, make good choices and not look in the past, let the past be the learning curve but really look in the future and say, how, what do we need to change to achieve our goals in the future? Because you cannot, people need to understand this, you cannot do business in the next five years like you've done the last 10. You will fail miserably. Well, let's, let's dig into that a, a little bit, because obviously you've been doing something right. Um, and you know, as you said, this certainly would apply to any associations that are listening, but, but really to any business, uh, corporations, small business. I think the concepts that you talk about apply very broadly. And I know one that's uh, kind of at the core of your message and, and has been for a while is this this concept of Uberization, um, as you put it, or, or you ask you know organizations what what is your Uber? Can you explain a little bit of what you what you mean by that, and, and, and maybe provide some examples? Yeah, <coughs> excuse me. Yeah, so Uberization came out of an article that was done in 2015 by a girl named Jenna, a lady named Jenna McGregor, who. They did a study of 5,000 C-suite executives, and it was an IBM study that was put on. And when they interviewed them, the number one fear of every single of over 50% of those executives 
was the uberization of their industry, a, a way of doing business cheaper, smarter, faster, and better than, than they could do it. And it came out of nowhere. And the two biggest examples that you look at is Uber itself. Uber, that's why they call it uberization. Uber was the poster child of market disruption. Uber, if you look at the numbers, in 2015, Uber did, I think it was like 173 million rides per year. In 2017, two years later, they've done over 2 billion rides. Now imagine the, the sucking sound you would hear from <laughs> the, ta- the, sa- the taxi industry and that transportation industry of money, revenue, and customers being taken out of the system that aren't theirs anymore. So just two short years it happened. And you look at Airbnb. Airbnb did 3 million stays in 2012. In five short, short years in 2017, they did over 100 million stays. Multiply 100 million times three, three nights times $159 rate. That is a lot of zeros being taken away from the hotel industry. Huge disruptions going on. Now, here's the funny thing. A lot of people think that disruption has been this thing that's been going on in the last five or 10 years with Amazon, Airbnb, Uber, but it hasn't. It's been here since the early 1900s. In 1902, I always use this funny example. In 1902, let's say you were the largest horse and buggy uh, distributor in the country, and you had a great year, and you're out shining up your wheels and brushing your horses, and all of a sudden you hear this rumbling sound coming down the the dirt road, and you look over the horse, and it's a Model T from Henry Ford. Henry Ford engineered the first car in 1903. Here's the difference, though. In 1903, it took 10 years for Henry Ford to engineer mass production of that car. So that horse and buggy owner had 10 complete years to figure out, am I going to get in the automotive business? Am I going to change my horse and buggy industry? What, how, how am I going to deal with that? Today, you don't have what I tell people is you don't have the luxury of time. Because now, you, as you saw with Airbnb and Uber, your, your industry could change in two to four years, and if you don't change with it and get ahead of it, you could de- you're going to be behind the curve. And when you get behind in this day and age, it's almost too late at that point. So that's why right. I encourage people. I've got this great new acronym called CUT. C stands for consistent change, constant change. U stands for urgency. It's imperative because of the change. You have urgency in your company and your team to change with it. And T is time. You don't have the luxury of that. So change, urgency, and time. You need to keep those things with your team on the forefront if you're going to compete in the next five years. So that's what Uberization is, that quick, massive change of a cheaper, better way to do things. Because today's customer is looking for a cheaper, better, faster way of doing things in their daily life. Well, I know, you know, just the, the two examples you started with, Uber itself and Airbnb. Um, I mean, I'm an avid user at this point, as I'm sure many listeners are. And, and you're right. I mean, just in a, you know, a period of a few years, suddenly those have become an integral part of my life. I mean, I just took an Uber yesterday to, to get to the airport. Uh, we used Airbnb, Airbnb all over the place this summer, you know, doing family vacation. Um, really, truly have disrupted uh, those industries, the taxi industry and the hotel industry and, and probably a lot of peripheral industries that, that go along with them. I'm sure they're, I'm sure they've made a lot of uh, executives lose sleep over, oh. <laughs> overnight. Uh, um, well, obviously, the study shows that over 50% of Fortune 500 executives are worried about it. So it's, it's a big deal and it's a real deal. And so maybe turning the focus then to uh, where most of our listeners are, which is in that, that market for lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development, uh, certainly there's been some, some disruption there. Um, can, you, can you talk a little bit about uh, how you see Uberization playing out there? And um, you know, what are some ways in which if, if these organizations aren't careful, these you know, learning businesses, they might find themselves, you know, quote, Ubered? 
Well, you definitely got to keep an eye out for things like uh, there's some sites like Coursera and General Assembly and Lynda.com. Lynda.com, I'm a member of that. You can, for $34.99 a month, you can get access to over 5,500 courses for free for $34.99 a month. I mean, if they ever got into the heat treating world, I can't compete with that. You know, mm-hmm. ours is an average of you can train up to 10 people on our site, on our, um, on our online learning site, mchatacademy.com, for 100 bucks a month. Train 10 people. But, you know, now that, that's $39,499 is hard to compete with um, on an individual basis. And so the biggest thing associations and, and learning facilities have to look at is what sites are lurking out there. Because um, I know Coursera's main mission is to get high-level learning down to the average person for next to nothing. Mm-hmm. Well, associations can't compete with that. You know, they're going to have big ad dollars because they're going to bring eyeballs. Now, we bring eyeballs, but we bring it in a different way in a nonprofit world. And so we'd have to find those sponsorship dollars to do it for free. And, you know, it's in question as to whether we'd be able to do that. So that's what I tell every association is your biggest Uber is these sites getting into your technical expertise and offering coursework for little to nothing that it makes it hard for you to compete with. Because, frankly, Members are traditionally loyal, but when you can save a couple grand a year on your corporate training package because you found a site that can do it for free and do it just as good, that's tough. That's a high price to pay for loyalty, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. So so I I encourage everybody, you need to have, I always call it the the, uh, chief change officer. The chief change officer, the CCA is that person or a couple people who are looking around your sphere and your space and making sure they got their eyes out on the radar screen to say, is this kind of stuff coming our way? so that we can be aware of it and get ahead of it. you got to make sure you have your niche solidified so people know that you are the experts in that area of training. And to me, that's the biggest thing we all have to look for is these sites that are trying to look for free. And so that's a good point about having you know somebody who's in charge of this, or I, I imagine maybe at some organizations it might be a small committee or something that's, that's really focused on it. But w- what should that person or those people be doing? I mean, how, how do they track this? I know you've talked about things like you know making sure you're on top of you know, demographic shifts and, and buying habits and emerging tech. I mean, what what's kind of the, the, the process, the, the the habits that anybody who's going to track change and, and try to stay ahead of, of being Uberized, uh, basically? What do they need to be doing? Well, here's the thing. If it's there, it's on the Internet. So you go out to YouTube and you type in, you know, dental training. If you're in the dental world, you type in dental training and see what pops up to see if there's any sites that's, that's coming up with courses. I mean, I went and I wanted to learn how to play the bass, and I went in and typed how to play a bass, and there was mm. a 51-course, 30 minutes each course set of videos online for free that I could learn how to play the bass. Well, so you want to go out like in our world, we say heat treating. I'd go out and type in heat treating 101 and see what kind of thing, what kind of videos are out there. Now, there's a lot of um, ancillary people that do, you know, they're independent individuals that want, they have a passion for videos and training, and so they, in our industry, they might put on a five-minute video on how to do something, but there's no coordinated effort. Mm. to free training out there in our industry yet, but there may be in others. So you want to look up YouTube. You also want to go out to Google and just Google your industry and type in training after it and see what pops up. And to me, that's that's the two biggest things you need to be looking at is YouTube and Google and see if what pops up that's out there in the world that could be coming into your world in terms of training. Yeah, I get the impression, well, I know from, from working with so many organizations um, that, that most of them are not doing that. And in fact, a lot of times when we come in, that's one of the first things we're going to do. And it's often very revealing. They, they may think they have no competition when in fact, you know, there's a ton of stuff out there that's uh, starting to infringe on their market, uh, whether directly or, or indirectly. Now let's, 
that, that begs the question though, you know, let's say you go out there and you find that, uh, you know, maybe it's a, a member, I've got an association in mind right now where they've got a member who is just going to town creating like foundational content in one of the most core areas of their training. Um, and he's attracting a big audience and I mean, he's doing really well at it. Let's say you're an organization, you go out there and, and you find that, I mean, I've heard you mention a few things along the way here, like, you know, say sponsorships uh, is something that may be more important or, you know, really having a coordinated uh, catalog, maybe a, maybe a career pathway that's well-defined for your audience. I mean, what are some of the ways, uh, the strategic ways in which learning businesses may need to be thinking now when they, when they encounter that kind of competition coming into their market? Well, there's two things that you, have to look at when you have one, I always ask people, how did you let a member get out in front of your learning? Mm. Was it because you were, because you failed to change and you were doing the old learning? As I said before, you continue to do it the old way and not the new way. So there's that, there's that notion of, you know, you almost got what you deserve because you refused to move into the future with training. And somebody said, you know what, this, what you're doing for us isn't good enough. I'm going to make sure it happens. And there are members out there that's going to do that because they're frustrated with the path of the association or the training entity. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's, there's two things you at that point when that happens that you can look at. You can either come, become a competitor or a collaborator. Mm. And you want to have to look and say, all right, if we choose to compete, can we compete? You know, there is a lot of business, so it doesn't like you have to get all of it because he may have, they may have their niche and you can carve out your niche. We've carved out a huge niche at MTI and we're trying to protect that niche with um, ongoing innovation for the future in terms of our content and stuff and our delivery. So you can you can you got to find out if you can compete. If you can't compete because they're so good, then it's imperative that you look and say we need to somehow collaborate. And that may be that they are the leading learning source, but you may be you know you may get a royalty for pushing people to their learning center. So it's better to get fifteen percent of something than zero percent than hundred percent of nothing. And so you know you either got to learn whether you, you got to compete or collaborate mm-hmm. with who's driving the leading training in your industry if you're not the leading training. It does seem like there's going to be a, a lot more need for collaboration going forward because, uh, you know, as you just suggested, I mean, somebody might come in and carve out a particular niche, um, even if they don't. I mean, it's hard for any one training entity, one learning business to cover everything, you know, and right. to cover it, cover it well. Um, so it seems like there, there's just bound to be more collaboration, more partnership uh, going forward in, in this learning business in, in general. I agree. Well, and, and, there, and, as, and, and as industries are growing – there's enough, there's enough business for everybody because there's, there's, there's a whole niche of people that won't like their level of training for some reason. You know, it's kind of like there's a whole group of people that think Starbucks makes the best coffee in the world. Mm. There's a whole bunch of people that think their coffee stinks, and they would not go into Starbucks for nothing. So right. everybody's got to figure out who their customer is and their niche and really play to those people. Well, and, and to that point, this might be a good place to uh, catch up a little bit on – what you're actually doing there at MTI. And, um, you know, as I said at the beginning, you've, you've been on before and we, we talked uh, uh, in pretty good depth about your e-learning program there and, and your certificates there. But um, and we'll, we'll point folks back to that episode because I definitely recommend going back and, and listening to everything you said there. But maybe for uh, those who you know, don't remember or are tuning in to, for the first time, can, can you give a little background on you know, how you managed to stand up uh, what, uh, by all accounts, is a very successful uh, e-learning program at MTI? Because I know a lot of organizations struggle with that, you know, the, either getting it up in the first place or getting it up and then having it actually generate revenue. Uh, right. You've done both very successfully. Can you give a little bit of a, a background and, and, a, and an update on where you are with that? 
So in 12 years ago, our board had five courses in text format in a Word document that they said, Tom, when, when I came on board in 2005, they said, your number one goal is to get these online for us to be a class. They had spent four years and eight grand and had nothing to show for it. And so I just did a little bit of homework and research. Within 30 days, I found an uh, incredibly user-friendly LMS that allowed you to build your courses point and click. They only charged a, a, a fixed fee depending on how many users you had in the system on the biggest day of the month. And so it fit us an ability. That, and I, I knew subscriptions were going to be the thing. I didn't want to sell courses one at a time. I wanted to sell corporate subscriptions just like dues because if you can get a company to pay you $2,400 a year, as opposed to paying $25 a course. And, and it, it does one thing for them. It fixed their training costs, which business owners like things when they're fixed because then they can budget for it. Mm. So we, I took those five courses. I got them onto the LMS. And I knew that we weren't going to sell individual courses. People, I learned from the CAE. People don't log on and say, I want to learn about member engagement. I want to learn about this. I they say, you know, I want to be a CAE. And, and they C- CAE the is the Association Executives uh, or American Society of Association Executives. That's their, their credential, the, the CAE, Correct. right? Correct. They want to buy a finished accomplishment. So when they're done, they say, you know what? I'm a CAE. So we immediately created what's called the Qualified Furnace Operator Program. And all that Qualified Furnace Operator Program said is that you completed these five courses with um, uh, at least an 80% grade uh, in each of the five courses. And, and that thing took off like crazy because when you put those qualified furnace operator certificates on the wall in your what we call our wall of excellence in any one of our member companies, customers walking through seeing that sees there's a lot of expertise running around. Auditors who are auditing for third-party entities like ISO and others, they see all this training documentation. So that's a good thing. So then I, I figured out that the younger generation coming through their minds of video gaming was going to want to build on those. We didn't want one big, one big certificate. We needed a series of certificates that built on levels on one another. So we threw another five courses that were really important on top of the QFO, and we created the Heat Treat Technical Specialist. So within about three to four months, someone could come into the industry and get two certificates of expertise fairly quickly of knowledge base. And then after that, we created the Heat Treat Specialist, which was adding another 20 courses. So now we've had them in two quick ones. Now they're going to go in for the long haul and make a 60-hour um, course called Heat Treat Specialist. And that was another 20 courses on top of the 10 that they already took. So we just kept building certificate programs that build on those. And then we've got now we've launched a new one last year that's uh, nine modules on safety training and plant safety. And the biggest one we did was we did a 12 module uh, management training. It's about 30 minute courses with testing at the end. So here's the deal. You come in as a beginner at QFO. You then want to get a, you know, advance your career. You do the HTTS, then you do the HTS. And then if you're going to actually manage people, I'm telling you, Jeff, I'm, a, I'm never amazed when people put someone in charge of two or more people who have absolutely no training skills whatsoever. So it's kind of mandatory in our industry mm-hmm. that if you're going to manage people, you have to take this 12-course module set um, to learn the basics of just people management and personality management and conflict resolution skills. Um, it's just important. So, so we built those certificates, and, and we then began to sell organizational subscriptions to our members. And probably, I think, 30 to 40 percent of our members have a corporate subscription in that program. It went from zero dollars in uh, 2005 to now it generates over 120 grand to us um, every single year. Wow. And there's uh, there's a lot in there to unpack, I think, um, related to what we you know, were talking about before this around uh, Uberization and, you know, uh, kind of protecting your place within a, a niche. I mean, in the first place, I'm struck by the fact that you you really took the time to understand 
both what the, the learner would be interested in, you know, the individual going through the training, but really what the employer uh, was going to be interested in um, and, and making sure you understood those employer needs when you, when you put together this offering in the first place. Because, uh, I mean, I've seen this in other fields. That probably more than anything helps to make sure there's going to be a buyer. There's going to the economics are going to be there that somebody's going to pay for this, uh, basically. Um, so you, you, you did that up front. And then, I mean, it also sounds like about at this point, um, I'm listening to you talk about, it and it sounds like, you know, it's very trendy now to talk about stackable credentials, you know, these things that stack on you, you were kind of doing stackable credentials before stackable credentials were cool in, in a way. And you, you gave people a pathway which I would imagine at this point, and you can tell me your level of confidence around this, even if lynda.com did decide, hey, there's something going over here in the metal treating uh, uh, industry, you know, they've got, they've got a pocket full of cash. They could go out and, and develop some, some courseware, but it almost wouldn't be worth their time to do that because you've, you've kind of got it locked up in, in a way um, because you've, you've understood it so well and, and delivered the right product. I mean, how, am I, are you that confident with what you've created or... I'm never as confident to think that no one could come in and, 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 and do anything that could Uberize our industry. I mean, that, that's where you fall complacent and actually get mm-hmm. Uberized. We're constantly thinking about how do we continue to make the brand of the heat treat specialist certificate? How do we keep that brand high? Because that, that's the CAE of our industry. So we don't want anybody to come in and be able to offer another type of certificate that could have the same level of confidence. So um, it's, it's, we've, we've, it's, it's been a long journey of 12 years and it's like the, the most accepted training in the industry. So, you know, we just continue to keep evolving. You know, the biggest thing I, I think the biggest thing that we did early on is we started asking ourselves the key questions. What is the highest pain point in associations? They spend too much time on perceived value and mm. not actual value and actual value is those highest pain points where every single individual or business owner in an association that's a member wake up every day and they have frustrations in their company or their individual process that keeps them up at night. And we started thinking the number one is the new person gets hired and someone's got to train them. And the owner doesn't have the time, but a lot of times them or their key people have to take time away from their operations to train those people. We said, you know what, we need online training. They can sit them down in one hour a day for the first week and they would have a big general understanding of what happens in the heat treat plant. And that, that was a big part of, of our QFO, our Qualified Furnace Operator Program. They could watch that five-module set with 11 hours of videos and textbook, um, uh, student handbooks and take tests. And at the end of five days, they would at least understand the basics of the terminology of what they're doing walking around the plant. And that's something that I think most industries lose out on. That's probably the number one piece of, yeah. of education that they could do for any business owner is you know, sit your people in front of our courses for three weeks, and they're going to know everything they need, at least know on a base level, to work in your in your place of business. That that is such a good point. We see that again and again that there's an opportunity. Um, I mean, particularly for a trade or professional association, but really for anybody who wants to kind of lead learning in, in whatever field or sector they're serving. To you know, whether you call it onboarding, whether you call it orientation, um, we've consistently yeah. seen organizations knock it out of the park when they've come up with a re- really good orientation program that can be used industry wide. And then you're setting the standard. You're setting the baseline right. from which. All other training happens, you know, after that. So that's fantastic. And I, I love, too, that you brought up um, brand, because that's something we hadn't really uh, uh, talked about uh, up until this point. Um, it just seems like brand is going to be more and more important uh, to, to, to defend your niche. You know, if you are known as, as you said, you know, in the, in the association world, if you're getting credentialed as an association executive, it's the CAE. You know, if you're right. in, in, it's going to be something else in other fields. But if you, if you own that brand... 
Um, that's, that's also a, a very strong point of defense. And I think probably not enough organizations invest enough in, in developing um, that, that brand uh, over time. Well, one of the things that we do about once every quarter in our newsletter, in our online uh, content, we publish the members. We publish the top 10 members who have the most heat treat specialists mm. in their plant. That's they great. love that. And, and, it, and it inspires other plants to go, oh, my God, especially if it's your local competition, we've got to get our people in that training so we can yeah. get our name on that list. So it's using peer pressure, which is very effective to helping people want to be a part of the process. Cause when they see their competition, they see other people really excelling, um, in, in those areas, they're like, we got to be a part of that. So it's, it's about to carrying your message online. So everybody sees it in a way that it strikes them as we got to do that. that that's great. Uh, and I was just working with an organization, uh, last week that is as part of the strategic strategic discussion that came up as something that they, was also very effective with their uh, membership um, that they haven't done enough of. And they're going to start doing a lot more of that because that is, that is very uh, effective to get that sort of competitive element uh, out there like that and get people really engaged uh, with what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, Tom, be, before we wrap up, this has been a fantastic uh, uh, conversation. Um, I wanted to switch gears a little bit. Um, one thing that's you know al- always impressed me so much about you is your you're obviously somebody who values learning yourself a great mm-hmm. deal. I mean, you're, you're immersed in ideas. You're always working through them, speaking about them, writing about them, obviously using them, using them in your position as a, a CEO at MTI. So um, we've started asking everybody who comes on the show at this point uh, about their own sort of personal learning experiences. And the specific question I want to pose is, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult, since finishing your formal education? You know, for me, I'm not a huge book reader, so I can't, I don't like to sit down and read a, you know, 350 page book, but I, I with my obsession about trying to be, a, be the disruptor itself, I spend a, a lot of time each week watching TED Talks, watching mm. YouTube videos, um, reading articles, uh, you know, just to keep that micro learning segment, you know, pinpointing my, my wife looks at my what's your Uber presentation between now and what it was six years ago. And it looks nothing like it does. It looks somewhat like, but she says, Tom, that thing has changed so dramatically. It is involved and it's always evolving because the in- industries are involving. Right. So for me, my biggest learning experience is having an obsession with micro learning so that I can take in the bits of information because things don't change in large quantities. They always change in small quantities that begin to mushroom into a larger picture. Mm. And so my, my obsession is making sure I'm getting in the little bits and pieces of information on a daily to weekly basis that keep me with or ahead of the change that's going to one day kind of mushroom and cause big change for anybody that didn't stay abreast of it. And I think that's what's been our success is, is trying to stay ahead of that curve as opposed to only wanting to learn when big market disruption shows up on our doorstep and we go, Oh my gosh, we have a problem. Right. Right. Now I love that. Both the, the fact that you're continually doing it and also that, uh, you know, really paying attention to the, the small changes that are going to add up to a lot more reminds me we've had, um, Rohit Bargava, uh, who writes the, the non-obvious series about trends on the podcast before. And I think his, yeah. his whole approach to curating trends is very similar. He's always just 
dialed into, you know, the, the incremental things that are happening and then stepping back and figuring out, okay, where, where is that taking us? And I can see how your uh, speaking has evolved uh, because of doing that. Um, I'd, I'd love to ask, uh, just so, you know, listeners can go check it out. Do you, do you have a favorite, you know, Ted talk or two that, uh, that you just always, you know, tell folks they should, they should listen to or yeah, watch, I guess? I, I can't remember the exact title, but there was a, there was a great talk on how to communicate with people mm. and have your message heard. And the guy just really, I can't, I can't tell the acronym because I can't remember it as distinctly, but I, but I had a profound, I was doing a lot of it, but it helped me tweak how I did things and, and said things to get people to really understand what I'm trying to say. There was one on um, how, to, how to speak and get your message heard, which was phenomenal. And then one of the, probably one of the, one, the best ones I ever heard was um, a doctor who, um, when he retired, they put him in charge of trying to fix the homeless problem in, uh, in Utah. And uh, what they what they discovered was is it, they gave 15 of the most uh, um, homeless people that were um, homeless for over 365 days. They gave them all an apartment, a one bedroom apartment for a year. And what they discovered is the cost of taking care and providing housing for a homeless person was way cheaper than the social cost it cost of leaving them on the street. Because when mm-hmm. you think about the homeless on the street, you got you got um, public responder, police responders, uh you know, emergency texts, um, addictions in a lot of cases, emergency room visits, you know, but when they put them in a, in a one-bedroom efficiency and gave them a place to stay, they saw the, the cost of it to dramatically decrease because they had actually a purpose and a home to be at every single day. So it was, it was quite, it, that, was, that was one that caught me, I guess, struck me as, as um, I wouldn't have thought that, but the doctor did a great job of showing the data and the studies that showed how it has an impact. Well, that's great. We'll we'll look around. And maybe maybe we can come up uh, uh, with the links to those uh, based on on that information. We'll put them in the show notes uh, if we do. But uh, yeah, there, I mean, there's just obviously so much rich content out there, and to to continually be kind of tapped into it uh, just keeps you thinking, uh, as you obviously yeah. have been and and, and evolving. So. To, to wrap up here, um, great conversation as always. If listeners want to know more about you and, and your work, uh, where should they go? You know, everything about Tom Morrison is at my website, TomMorrison.biz. It's got promo videos. It outlines my uh, keynotes that I do. I'm really uh, passionate about getting in front of audiences, especially association conferences, that want to see their people be engaged in the future. Because here's the thing. If your members are engaged and profitable in the future, they're going to have money to pay your dues. Mm. And they're going to be more excited and more engaged members because they're going to be, when people have more money, they tend to be more involved. So my goal is to help people understand the future so they can be prepared for it, so they can maximize their profitability and productivity from it, so they can be really good members. And here's the one thing I always flow through, is that the association is the number one resource for that activity. So a lot of speakers don't flow that through because I'm a CEO of an association. Everything's got that angle and that bent on it, which is a, I, I really believe that. So I say it with passion. But, I mean, then go to TomMorrison.biz, check out everything. But look forward to hopefully hearing from anybody out there that's looking for an energetic, deep content presenter that can really engage their people next year. Well, and I'll give you an unsolicited plug. As I mentioned earlier, I got to see you speak at uh, the Association Executives of North Carolina recently. You did a fantastic job. The folks there were clearly very, very engaged. So the discussion at my table and just the reaction afterwards, you could see that you really did have an impact. So uh, great to see you there. Thanks so much for coming here uh, again, Tom, and, and being once again on the Leading Learning Podcast. Jeff, always a pleasure to be here, and I look forward to uh, future, future times to get together and talk. I always love being with you. That wraps up our interview with Tom Morrison. To get show notes for this episode, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 161. 
When you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. And that includes not only iTunes, but also sources like iHeartRadio and Stitcher. And if you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe as it helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on iTunes or wherever you happen to listen. You can go to leadinglearning.com slash iTunes. That will put you in the right place for leaving a review on iTunes. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings play a really important role in helping the Leading Learning podcast show up when people are searching for content about leading learning. And we'd be grateful if you check out our sponsor for this episode, Learning Technology Design, or LTD, at ltd.tagoras.com. Again, this is our annual virtual conference, and if you, like most of our leading learning listeners, work in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, and professional development, this is an event that you do not want to miss. Finally, we hope you will tell someone about the podcast. You can send out a tweet by going to leadinglearning.com slash share, or if tweeting isn't your thing, pick the social network or other medium of your preference and spread the good word. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.